0: It was like, and then like gush, and so I'm like, oh, okay, this is definitely something worth going to the hospital for.
1: Welcome to the Happy Homebirth Podcast, your source for positive, natural childbirth stories and your community of support, education, and encouragement in all things homebirth and motherhood. What do you consider to be a normal pregnancy and birth? And how does your idea of normal stand up to the routine birth procedures we find in the industrial medical complex? Same? Different? Hey there, Happy Home Birthers, and welcome to episode 210 of the Happy Home Birth podcast. Before I go any further, I just have to celebrate for a second and thank every single one of you. We hit 1 million downloads a few weeks ago, and I can't believe it. How exciting. I remember when I first started this podcast almost four years ago, I had no audience. (laughs) Nobody knew who this was, and they began listening anyway. And I remember the first month, I hit 1,000 downloads, and I thought that was the greatest thing to ever have happened. And now here we are, with a million, over a million downloads. And I am just so humbled at what the Lord has done. Um, this has just been such an amazing platform to share, educate, empower, um, to, to celebrate what this is, this transition into motherhood through this amazing and potent experience of home birth. Um, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to share with you. Thank you for sharing your stories, for listening to the stories of mothers. Thank you to the mothers who are listening and gaining excitement and courage for your upcoming births and also your family members who I know are listening along and opening up their eyes, broadening their horizons and really trying to support you in what you're doing. This community means the world to me. I am just so grateful. I also want to give a quick reminder that this is the last week to apply for the home birth collective for the January through March cohort. I can't believe how incredible the women are in this cohort and I want you to be in it. If you are ready, if you're going to be about 12 to 28 weeks pregnant, in this now, basically, beginning of January, this is the perfect time to join and I am so excited. This will be the last cohort that I run in this form before I give birth. Um, so the Homebirth Collective is not going anywhere, but this is the last time that it will be run in this exact really beautiful, really intimate way. So just a heads up on that and now let's go ahead and get into the meat of this episode. And today we're speaking with Jamie Murphy. Jamie is a fertility awareness educator with a passion for body literacy and menstrual activism. Through her work, Jamie teaches others to understand their menstrual cycle and use this knowledge to either avoid or achieve pregnancy. Following a medically managed first pregnancy and hospital birth, Jamie realized her experience was common, but not normal. This prompted her to seek out a more traditional model of care for her second pregnancy and led to the first home birth in her family for generations. You're going to love this encouraging episode and everything about Jamie. She shares tons of wisdom on Instagram. So we're going to have her handle linked in the show notes. All right, let's get into the interview. Jamie, thank you so much for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I'm so happy to have you here. It's really fun whenever I get to talk to someone that I'm like, I know her. Like, I know Jamie. She's on Instagram. Like, <laughs> she puts <laughs> out really great content. It's very informative. So thank you for being here. Would you mind taking just a second to introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, my name is Jamie Murphy. I'm a fertility awareness educator certified with the SymptoPro method of fertility awareness, um, which tracks basal body temperature, walking sensations, cervical mucus, all the good things. Um, yeah, and I'm a mother of two. So I just recently had my very first home birth three months ago, and I can't believe it's already that um, it's already been that long. Um, and then I have a three-year-old as well. So I'm primarily at home with them. And then do fertility awareness
1: education on this side. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's so funny. Like, I feel like you're really known for your um, your love of discussing uh, mucus, especially like cervical fluid. Like, mm-hmm. that's your thing. That's my thing. <laughs> <It's awesome. laughs> Which is a weird thing to be known for, but we've all got to have something. That's that's. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, well, I definitely want to get into that and discuss that more, especially um, in terms of postpartum, because as you had mentioned before we started, like it can be a, quite a confusing time. Um, so that's going to be fantastic. But before we do that, I'd love to hear, um, I'd just love to hear about your experiences. So you said that this this second birth was your first home birth experience. What was your first pregnancy and birth experience like?
0: they were so radically different. Um, so the first one, um, actually, so my husband and I had been married four months and he was off on a very long business trip. It was going to be months. And I remember being with my sister and my mom, um, and we were drinking and I was like, you know, something's off. Like today's supposed to be my period, but I don't, Feel anything? I don't feel cramping. Something's not right because I had notoriously bad cramps. Sure enough, I was pregnant. <laughs> had to tell my husband over Facetime yeah, his first his first child. Um, and what I, I wanted to mention the start of my pregnancy because I think this is really important. Um, I started cramping about three weeks in, it was very, very early and they were terrible cramps. Um, and I never spotted, but I had really bad cramping and I called my nurse practitioner, um, and she immediately had me get a progesterone test. So I went in for a serum blood test. Um, and sure enough, my progesterone at seven weeks was nine nanograms per milliliter, which is low even for a non-pregnancy cycle in the middle of your luteal phase. Um, And so I immediately started on progesterone and that pregnancy was carried safely to term. So I do like to mention that if you feel that something is off, you know, it it can take some searching. I remember looking for progesterone tests before I conceived my second and I had to call around a lot of offices, but it's worth pursuing because um, that definitely
1: is the reason that my first daughter is here. Yep, Um, Um, thank you for mentioning that. And we did have one other story one time where a mom experienced the same thing. She actually experienced loss with her first, realized it was a progesterone issue, and then her she wasn't taken seriously by anybody when when she was talking about it the second time around. So that is something that is it's so critical, and and I'm so glad that your nurse practitioner knew and was willing to support you in that. Wow.
0: Yeah. um, And I would definitely, if you're not being taken seriously, do bring up, I believe it's the PRISM trial, but do bring up the fact that research has shown, I think it was from 2021, um, that after three losses, progesterone supplementation has been shown to significantly improve live birth rates. Mm -hmm. Um, So if this is a recurring issue, you know, my heart is with you, but also advocate for yourself. Yes. So I did work with a NAPRO practitioner for my progesterone. But in terms of the rest of my uh, prenatal care, it was done with just the largest OB office in the area because, you know, you ask friends like, oh, I'm pregnant. Where do I go? And everyone goes to this practice. So that's where you go, too. Um, and, you know, it it seemed crunchy because it was um a rotating team of certified nurse midwives. And so you think, oh, I'm delivering with midwives. Um, I didn't really get to know many of the staff because they all rotated because they all wanted to sort of see you in case they were on call when you delivered. Um, And so everything was pretty conventional. We'll probably get into this. Fertility awareness was very helpful because, um, gosh, I think I ovulated about two weeks later than what would be, you know, considered typical textbook. Um, and so my daughter was measuring behind, Mm -hmm. um, now add to that I'm in like the first percentile in terms of height and everything. So I'm a small woman. Um, and then she was also like measuring behind because of how they dated it with uh, last menstrual period. So this sort of culminated in second trimester getting our anatomy scan and she's you know, measuring behind in a way where they want to send me to maternal field medicine. Um, and that was highly traumatic, you know, because they tell you your daughter's head is measuring small. You have to go in for these special ultrasounds. You know, here we are crying, walking through the hospital to go to the specialist. They take vials of blood to run these panels, um, you know, to see if, Is it microcephaly? Is it some sort of terminal illness? And of course, they tell this sobbing pregnant woman, you know, whatever we find, she's likely either not going to make it or, you know, it'll only be a couple weeks. Like, it was truly terrible stuff. Um, And I just remember crying at work every single day waiting for that phone call. And my husband would drive to sit with me in the parking lot at lunch because we're just waiting for this phone call. Of course, there was there was nothing. <laughs> it, it was nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's a perfect storm. Um, last menstrual period makes dating off. Child is small because mother is small,
1: and ultrasounds aren't the be all and all. No, um, I sometimes I'm like ultrasounds are really reliable at being really unreliable.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was it was highly 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 traumatic. Um, and oh, it, sorry. I believe that some of that sort of trauma, um, it really contributed to sort of my birth experience, right? Because I I was clearly holding on to that. I I still like shudder to think about that and how terrible it was. Um, And the problem with a rotating team of care providers is you're sort of re-traumatized every time, you know, because they're asking questions about it and they're double checking things. Um I do remember at about 34 weeks someone offhandedly you know mentioning her femurs were short you know probably not realizing we had just gotten off of this emotional roller coaster and also we're very close to the due date how on earth are you supposed to know how long her femurs are mm-hmm. um but yeah that sort of set me off again for another week or so but that was sort of my my prenatal care um it was it was hard um, on top of that, you know, something maybe I'll talk about with the second pregnancy, but you just feel like a science experiment because you're not allowed to do a bunch of things and they have to remind you and tell you those things because, you know, heaven forbid, you know how to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And as you know, from Instagram, I'm very into medical anthropology. And so, you know, I, I saw it played out on myself, this idea of production, right? Like, let's make the perfect baby and safe that child from its mother who is so incompetent she can't eat deli meat. So um but yeah yeah, um in terms of like childbirth education, which I know is your thing and I'm so glad I found you for my second pregnancy, there really wasn't anything, right? We go to like a baby boot camp sponsored by the hospital and it's just (laughs) perfect. It was called baby boot camp. it's just here are all the things that are going to happen at the hospital. Here are all the interventions. Um, it, Yeah. And then like Lamaze, which, you know, some people find that very helpful, but if you don't really know how to implement it, it's like, let's all breathe one night in class so that you feel that you are going to have a very crunchy experience. And you've told us you're not going to have any medication, but, you don't actually know how to cope with anything or even really know the stages of labor to prepare yourself. And so when cramping started, um, it was a Friday night. Um, contractions started and I was like, oh, these must be contractions. And <laughs> I was sort of up all night sitting in a rocking chair because that's what I felt comfortable. The whole entire next day I was cramp, I was contracting. And these were intense contractions. It was, um, they were like a minute or two long each time, but they weren't short enough in frequency for the midwife to tell me to come in. And so I spent all of Saturday contracting and just sort of like laying on the couch. And I remember calling the triage and being like, Excuse me, like, how am I supposed to cope with this? And they told me, Oh, take some Tylenol PM, rest, and then, you know, call us when you know, there are a certain number of minutes apart. And so I remember just passing out after I took Tylenol because my body was so tired. And again, I had no coping mechanisms. It's all sort of clenching and like, like holding your breath, just waiting for it to pass. I started contracting at midnight on Friday and it was 5am Sunday when my water broke. And what's so crazy is, you know, sometimes people's water doesn't break, but I, I heard the pop and it was like, and then like, gush, And so I'm like, Oh, okay. This is definitely something worth going to the hospital for. Cause that's what they tell you when your water breaks, it's time to go to the hospital. Um, and so, you know, I ran to the bathroom and I also had my bloody show. Um, so cervical mucus plug, there it is. Thanks so much for keeping me safe in pregnancy. Um, mm-hmm. and I, My husband is a very law-abiding citizen. I have never seen him make that kind of time to the hospital. (laughs) It was incredible. Um, He's like, who's going to pull us over at 5 a.m. on a Sunday? This is an emergency. Because, of course, it's an emergency. We don't know what's going on. We don't know how to handle it. My water's broken. That's it. You go to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so, gosh, I've been, you know, laboring for over a day at this point. I, my husband still recalls, I'm basically non responsive this, at this point. Um, but when they check me at the hospital, I think I was only five or six centimeters. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, naturally, I'm a first time mom, I suspect there may have been a positioning thing, maybe, um, you know, because I did sort of labor so long at home. Um, but yeah, I was only five or six centimeters. And so what's so hard about this birth is I remember so little of it, but not for good reasons, um, which I'll mention when I talk about my second birth, but I just, I remember so little of it. And so I know they were checking me, you know, doing my cervical exams, which now I know my water had broken, probably wasn't a great idea for them to be checking me as much as they were. Um, And I had my record, you know, every couple hours they were checking me. Just thank God that I didn't get any sort of infection. Um, But What was so hard to see was I finally, two years later, requested my um, hospital birth records. And my new midwife said, you know, people should really only do that when they're ready to face that kind of thing, especially if, you know, they've experienced birth trauma. But it was around 10 a.m., they started me on Pitocin. I do not remember requesting or being told that I was going to be given Pitocin. And one thing my husband, you know, he would say very early on when we were sort of debriefing before conceiving our next child, you know, well, we didn't know, we don't remember. And I'm like, but that's the issue. Fully informed consent means that they would have walked me through it. They would have told me the risks and benefits. And I would have remembered this conversation, even if it was something offhanded, like, oh, we're going to start you on Pitocin. That's not consent. Mm-hmm. they told me what they were going to do. um. So anyway, that was, it was both extremely difficult, but also sort of reassuring that what sort of happened next in terms of contractions and whatnot wasn't my body. Like, I don't know if that's just me coming to terms with this birth, but you know, I felt like going into the second birth, I could trust myself because what had happened wasn't me.
1: Yep. It wasn't um, you. It was sabotage.
0: Yeah. And It's really hard, you know, and now that I know more, I can kind of see their line of thinking. I'd been laboring for a day. My water had broken. We're five hours out from my water having broken. I'm only at maybe seven or eight centimeters at this point. You know, they want to move things along. Um, So, yeah, contractions got really hard after that, naturally. Um, And so I did eventually request an epidural. And what's so funny is you write your little birth plan and you hand it to your care team at some point during your um, prenatal visits. And it's like, oh, I don't want any medication. You don't know what any of that means. You don't know what that means. You know, you don't know that accepting one thing is really going to make you more likely to accept another because you're going to need it. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I got an epidural and I will say, because of the situation I found myself in the epidural was glorious Mm -hmm. I became an entirely different person at that point my husband was exhausted and I'm like excuse me pay talk to me pay attention to me you know like I was myself again because I didn't feel any pain so um I was really lucky that it worked it it dulled everything um but then, of course, you just get checked and checked and checked until you're at 10 centimeters. And then they say it's time to push. And I'm like, it must be. I can't feel anything. So, sure, it's time to push 10 centimeters. I don't know how, you know, the baby must have been descended far enough for them to feel comfortable with that. Um, and it's just a lot of purple pushing. Um, <laughs> it's it's okay, you're going to like bear down as hard as you can until we tell you to stop because I couldn't even really feel on my stomach, my contractions. I I had no idea what to feel for. Um, and so goodness gracious, that went on for like two hours, two and a half hours. And then she finally came out and I think, I think I got a second degree tear. Um, and, and of course the line was fed to me like, Oh, she had, a nuchal cord, you know, whew, thank goodness you're here. And oh just wait, just wait you hear my, like, the second is absolutely outlandish. This is the second birth in terms of umbilical cords. But, you know, thank goodness you're at the hospital. It was wrapped around her. Neck. Mm-hmm. um And one of the things in my crunchy little birth plan had been, oh, I want delayed cord clamping. I, gosh, they what, waited like 30 seconds. um So that was that. Um, But, you know, just the last thing I sort of wanted to mention was that postpartum was really hard for me. Uh, I mean, I was definitely on the verge of postpartum anxiety, if not depression. Um, There's a lot of crying. I remember coming home from the hospital and just sobbing. Um, And I don't think it was like hormones, I think I was coming down from all of the drugs um, that were in me because I looked at those hospital records and there's all sorts of things they give you for active management of the third stage of labor and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that was a really hard postpartum. Um, And it took me a long time to realize that even though it was a common labor and delivery, it wasn't normal. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, healthy mama, healthy baby. Oh, you're so lucky. It took me a lot of time to sort of unpack that and realize that, no, this sucked. (laughs) This really sort of defined the first months, if
1: not year of my um, postpartum. Gosh. That was number one. Yeah. I think that what's so frustrating about that is those people at the hospital, like they have no idea you know, they have no idea the damage that what they did caused you. They have no idea the damage that what they're doing on a daily basis, like what that's doing to mothers, what that's doing to babies and and the bond between them. And there's no, like, they, they're not held accountable in any way. Like, oh, you had birth trauma. Too bad. Like, oh, you were anxious too bad like you had a healthy baby like that is such garbage like what a garbage system
0: it was it was really really difficult to think back on just how like normal it was for that Mm -hmm. cascade of interventions to happen um give the patient Pitocin because she had a premature rupture of membranes and then you know, give her an epidural because it's like a steam train is running through her uterus right now and she can't handle it. Coach her to push, stitch her up. And this was a teaching hospital, so there was an intern there. And my husband is still to this day wonders what happened because he remembers her doing something and the midwife just being like, Oh no, move over, move over. I like, let me hit a list. Cause like I started bleeding and I'm like, Oh, okay. Thanks for adding that layer to this experience. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, it was definitely a very different situation
1: than what we <laughs> went with for number two. Yeah. So, okay. So you said that that first, you know, really that first year was you know, impacted by this. Um, so then after you get to that first year and then as you're progressing along, what what made you decide like, okay, it's, it's time we're ready to do this and we're ready to do it differently?
0: Yeah, so my, even though my postpartum experience was so difficult, my first daughter is an angel. And I just remember like she had turned two And I was doing something and I looked over at her and she's got this stack of books and she's just like reading quietly and I sighed and I was like, okay, we need a little more chaos in this house, you know, (laughs) too quiet. And so that's when I was, it was about two years. I was finally ready to entertain the idea of another. Um, But, you know, that came with a lot of stipulations on my part. I'm like, okay. (sighs) Here's what we're going to do. You know, I'm not going back to that practice. Um, I wanted to sort of take a look at my progesterone levels before we tried to conceive. Um, because one thing I forgot to mention about that prenatal or, yeah, prenatal experience with the first was I had progesterone intramuscular injections um, because that's sort of what NAPRO holds up as sort of, you know, the. I guess, the heaviest hitter in terms of supplementation. It was miserable. Mm -hmm. Um, I still think I might have knots sort of in my butt from those injections. I couldn't walk very well for like the first couple months I started them. I won't even mention what it did to my bowel movements. Um, Yeah, I was just sore and miserable. And the needles were so big and I would cry every time. And my husband's running joke. He has a master's degree. And he'd be like, trust me, I'm an MD. And I'm like, you are not a doctor. Who trusted you with a needle this big? (laughs) So, you know, one thing I did not want to supplement progesterone this time, which meant I was going to work my butt off to make sure I didn't have to. Um, And then also, I just I didn't know what I was going to do for a care team because I didn't want to go back to that practice. Um, So... I do my preconception stuff. You know, I really look at nutrition. Um, my husband is a very good team player. He let me recommend some stuff for him. Um, I checked in with my doctor, my like general uh, practitioner, um, to get my progesterone test done. Everything looked fine. Um, and, yeah, we happened... <laughs> Fertility awareness, again, we can definitely get to this. Um, We sort of, our first cycle trying, shifted to trying to whatever, is sort of the lingo in the fam world. And what that means is, sure, we'll break a rule, but then I sort of chickened out. This is why you follow rules, because I know exactly the day that caused this pregnancy because I was charting. I knew which rule we broke. It was one time, (laughs) (laughs) Almost a week before um, my peak day, I even literally, the hypocrite that I am, have this silly boomerang of me putting buns in the oven. And the caption was, only buns in the oven, thanks to fam. Because like I hadn't made it public that uh. was making rules. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. How um, does that you- medicine taste? Like- <laughs> <laughs> I was
0: like, guys, if you want to have the daylight scared out of you here is this chart don't break rules unless you're okay with breaking rules yeah. um <laughs> so and i predicted based on that chart it would be a girl it's a girl and i knew it i remember if the midwife said oh it's a or we lived in i some, one of us said, oh, it's a girl.
1: And I'm like, I knew it. Like, I know. <laughs> I know you, I think it was you that shared, um, it was like a really small study, Very but right. just the percentages when it was like 13 or 14 people. But if they followed the rules and like a- attempted to conceive mm-hmm. at the time, they got the gender that they were seeking. Yeah. That was it fascinating, was ludicrous. Like how high their success rate was. Well, and the one the one like unsuccessful one i think it was like they just forgot they like did it the wrong time or whatever like yeah yeah crazy. it was
0: it's very crazy and both of my charts like obviously n equals 2 is not statistically significant but <laughs> it it worked out mm-hmm. um yeah i'll probably get a lot of questions about that but i do have like a whole highlight about it um, so um i didn't know what i was going to do for a care team um and It was literally like the grace of God that it happened. Um, One of my Instagram followers reached out to me because she wanted a charting consult. Um, And just because of things that happened, she needed my address to send the check. And it turns out we lived really close to each other and it turned out we were internet friends turned real life friends. And it turned out she was a midwife.
1: No way. (laughs) that's the coolest thing ever yeah and
0: um yeah I mean the reason we connect so well is because we are so aligned on everything like it's amazing um yeah when the two of us get together um and so that was just like you can't make something like that up it just Mm -hmm. happened and it happened before I even got pregnant Mm -hmm. um because I remember her texting me or just like I can't remember if she said it she was like oh I hope you know, it didn't seem presumptuous that I said I was a midwife. And I'm like, no, I literally just found out I was pregnant. Like, you could not have known that I was pregnant. Um, So, yeah, I went back to my husband and I was like, this is what I want. And he's like, no, that's crazy. Like, nobody in his family had had a home birth. Nobody in my family. I, I asked my mom before, you know, I was going to do this interview who she remembered having a, um a home birth no one in my family in any sort of living memory. Um, And I was like, no, I want her to be my midwife and I want to do it at home. Um, And, you know, I sort of, we had a lot of difficult discussions and that's something I get questions about all the time. Well, how do you bring your partner on board? How do you bring your family? Um, One, you may have to set boundaries with your family that are very difficult. You know, I, I chose to talk very little about my home birth with really, Anyone except my mom, I think was really the only one I, I shared much about it with. Um, but then also you have to have a lot of difficult conversations with your husband or your partner mm-hmm. because that they don't know any better because you didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know I had to I had to talk about how helpless I felt, how out of control I had felt with the first one, um, how I wanted I told my midwife over and over. I just want to get high. That is my birth plan. Like that is my goal. I need it. I need it. I need it. Um, And so every decision I made about my birth revolved around that. Like how do I support the hormones of labor? And so, you know, I (laughs) – my husband is a saint because I feel like I'm not an easy person to live with. I was like I – we'll have this home birth with my friend or I will free birth and you can catch the baby, you know? And he's like, okay, we, we better, you know, have this. Let's, let's compromise. <laughs> <laughs> because I, for one, um, I, I have heard a lot of beautiful free birth stories and they also sort of prepared me just for, you know, what an intervention free labor should look like in terms of setup. But in my heart, I just don't believe that, the majority of women are meant to birth alone. And I've talked with my friend a lot about this. It's not necessarily that we're meant to birth with like these authority figures, Mm -hmm. but like we used to have communities where we would birth with wise women. Um, And yeah, you know, that's just something we're missing now. Um, Women who could just share that knowledge as you passed in a safe place from maiden to mother. Um, And so I was just so, so happy with this sort of very, very minimal prenatal care. Um, And I, you know, obviously I'm very fortunate to be healthy and considered low risk. Um, And I'm also very fortunate to be able to pay out of pocket for something like this, because a lot of times when you're seeking this kind of care, insurance is not going to touch that. Uh -uh. Um, Or the midwives can't, you know, be reimbursed by insurance because Mm -hmm. of whatever situations they're operating under. And so that's something anyone who sort of seeks a more traditional model of care would have to keep in mind. Um, But fortunately, we were able to do that. Um, And I actually, I didn't really have, so I conceived in November. I had my first appointment in February, which is very different than, you know, when we're like, oh, I'm nine weeks, I better get in now. Um, I better have all these ultrasounds and tests and blood work. The only thing I will say is I am RH negative, um, but I had my husband do an Elden card to figure mm-hmm. out his blood type, and he's also O negative. Damn. So We're that good. was that. And it was so simple, and it was so silly that that didn't happen the last time, because when my baby was born, they figured out she was RH negative. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, that was one thing, you know, and it's a shame, um because a lot of times they just don't trust women, mm-hmm. and you know, maybe your partner isn't who you said it was. So right. we need to give you this anyway. That's a real shame. Um, but, yeah, I didn't have any ultrasounds. I learned this time around how to listen for the heartbeat myself with a fetoscope, and that happened around twenty weeks. It's just amazing how it sort of unfolds that way because, you know, our appointments were much longer. They were an hour or more. A lot of times the um, midwives would talk about nutrition during these, but I'd come running in like, sorry, I'm late. I'm finishing my liverwurst. So we were kind of on the same page with
1: that. <laughs> She's got it. <laughs> um, but
0: yeah, I just, you know, your your podcast and um, Real Food for Pregnancy is a huge sort of um, resource for women. Um, I read this book called Free Birth by Sarah Schmid, just like mm-hmm. all sorts of things to prepare me for the stages of labor. Um, And then also pregnancy prep in terms of like, I didn't want to take a prenatal because the iron made me really sick last time. And so I took a whole food approach. And, you know, that was something that sort of had changed even before I conceived. Um, But I didn't have any ultrasounds this time either. And that people always ask me questions about that. Like, oh, are you, you know, that crunchy that you don't believe in them? And I'm, you know, I'm very open about the fact that I, I just can't be re-traumatized by that, um, given how inaccurate they can be. And also, you know, it does come from a place of, based on my beliefs, you know, a diagnostic ultrasound, unless we, you know, clearly there was trouble and we could tell, like, it wasn't going to change my decision either way on carrying that pregnancy. So there were enough things where it it wasn't necessary for me. Um and I didn't have any sort of red flags at all during this pregnancy. Um I also actually my midwife gave me the choice to use a continuous glucose monitor, but
1: mm-hmm.
0: I declined that. Um just because A, I I had already spent so much of my last pregnancy pricked by things that I just was very ner- like I don't know, I wasn't enthusiastic about that, um, but also, I had just worked with a nutritional therapy practitioner um the the sort of a couple months before I conceived, and we'd already like taken a look at my blood sugar, and she had um you know given me some tips, and I really hadn't struggled with anything related to blood sugar since then, and so I felt pretty confident about my ability to like um, balance my blood sugar, and protein was like my biggest priority in pregnancy. I was eating you know, over a hundred grams a day. Um, so yeah, that was just really cool. It was so intervention free. And, you know, every time I sort of asked them to help me like feel the baby, and they taught me how like you you if you're holding baby's butt and you wiggle it, everything's gonna kinda like wiggle around <laughs> with it. But if you hold the head, like only the neck's gonna wiggle. Um, that was really cool. Um and the the one thing about this pregnancy was I had run my big mouth about how I thought breech was a variation of normal. And there was a question um gosh I think about 34 weeks um where we thought maybe baby was breech. <laughs> oh, I, I just had to laugh because I was like, "Oh, you're making me put my money where my mouth is." Right. Um but I did see I saw a Webster chiropractor a couple times after that and I also started walking every day and um There really wasn't any question that baby was um, anything but head down after that. Mm -hmm. So there was, you know, she was flipping around a lot, which I'll come back to. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that was that was pretty much that pregnancy. My husband did feel a lot more confident um, even after the first appointment with the midwives. They were so competent. Everything was evidence based. They gave us all the information, but he did acknowledge. And I thought this was so cool birth is actually a lot of work, right? If you take it into your own hands, birth is a lot of work. And this is an audio-based platform, but to my left is still our giant bin of home birth stuff Mm -hmm. because he had to prep it all. And he told me something. It was so cute. He's like, wow, birth is a lot of work for the husbands. You know, a lot of like emotional work and (laughs) mental labor. And I'm
1: like, oh, Tell me more about that. <laughs> it's so hard for you. Oh, Who's caring for you? Oh, my gosh, you poor baby.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, I respect him so much. He had all of his checklists. He oh had goodness. the contingency plans. He had everything ready to go for the midwives that they needed. He was on top of ordering it. Because, you know, with a toddler and then being fully pregnant, the best I could do was focus on, like, the actual events of labor. Mm-hmm. I was not sort of thinking about anything other than making sure there were twinkle lights in my room, right? Um, Priorities,
1: but, exactly.
0: So he had the birth pool, um, like just blown up by thirty six weeks, and he put it by the load bearing wall in our bedroom because he's in so ready, ready to go in the right spot. Um, and it was just so sweet because I didn't. I did not have my toddler present at the birth because she's sensitive and young enough where I think she wouldn't understand the energy, (laughs) like that it wasn't negative, even though it was intense. Um, But it was so cute to see her sort of interacting with the birth pool and like holding the handles and asking me how many pumps I needed to fill it up. And she would do that for me. And we watched birth videos together and she'd say, oh, the baby's going to go bam right out of your uterus. So I'm like, that's right. Straight bam. Straight and out of my uterus. <laughs> she's a fam baby because my mom was like, no other child was like, oh, the baby's in mama's uterus, you know, like <laughs> she knows where it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, the difference with this one's so now shifting to labor Um I had a lot more Braxton Hicks contractions with this child. I think it started midweek where I was like contracting starting in the evenings. And so, you know, my husband would have put the baby or the toddler to bed because I just wasn't sure where this was going, but then it would fizzle out by like 8 PM. And this happened for like three or four days. And then Saturday night, we had probably the worst night of sleep for the two year old that we've had in a very long time. And I was exhausted, um, on Sunday. And I mean, we both napped, like my toddler hasn't napped in a year and she fell asleep and I fell asleep. Sure enough, that was it. I don't know if she could sense what was happening or what, but about four thirty AM, um, Monday morning, I started contracting and I didn't wake anyone up. I just remember laying there and, you know, I'd been practicing for a long time. that sort of like going, going limp with each contraction and sort of riding the wave out. Um, And it had happened a couple times before. I remember I did even text my midwife one night, like, Oh wow, that was an intense contraction. And she was like, keep me posted. But then nothing happened. Excuse me. And, um, Actually, oddly enough, that contraction I had like a Braxton Hicks was one of the worst contractions I had even in labor. So I'm not quite sure what was going on there, but I wrote it. And I remember feeling just like a wave go from the bottom of my feet, like up and over my head, like almost like being in the ocean. So I had gotten some practice with that and I'm laying there at 430 and I'm just sort of like letting those go and counting backwards and... After an hour, I woke my husband. I was like, okay, they're not going down in intensity. You know, they're close enough apart that I think this might be it. And so he was awake. And then I think by 6:30, I remember being up in the bathroom asking him, like, do you think we should call the midwife? And then I was like on my knees to like let one ride out. And I'm like, it's time to call the midwife and yeah. my mom and sister I called them and they were so sweet. They came to get my daughter and they cleaned my house and then they like left. And I was just in the bedroom the whole time. Um and so she was in and out cuz she adores my family. So, you know, that was a very easy easy thing and it was beautiful. But yeah, I just remember how empowered I felt this time because I had read about the stages of labor. Um I I knew I had a lot of things prepped for eating and drinking. Um, if I could do it again, I would make sure that I ate and drank those things. <laughs> um, but That's they were right. ready. <laughs> <have you. laughs> it's all a learning process. Um, but I just remember being on my hands and knees and letting my hair sort of like just fall in front of my face and doing horse lips and like letting those sort of, Sort of early contractions do their thing, knowing that my fundus is building, my fundus is building, my fundus is building, um, and so that's so empowering. I would not say, amazingly, that this is going to come out of my mouth. I would not say my contractions were painful. Mm-hmm. I experienced pain twice during that labor. One, which I'll talk about in a minute, is just like moving from place to place because the baby's so low. Um, and two was the ring of fire. Mm -hmm. Um, but other than that, they were intense as anything, but they weren't painful because like for the first time I sort of trusted the process and I trusted my body and I knew their purpose. Mm -hmm. That's just so powerful to be like birth isn't pathological. It serves a purpose and these muscles serve a purpose. So get the heck out of their way and that's what i did um and i remember i i couldn't i couldn't believe it um i looked at my papers from my midwife this time for that first part of labor i was on the ground for 4 hours sort of just man 4 hours on my hands and knees or side lying doing horse lips and just sort of like really it was first stage of labor was all horse lips and my um Midwife came in with her assistant, and she said something like, "Oh my gosh, you look like a goddess." And I just remember thinking about Ina May's words, like, "If a woman doesn't look like a goddess while she's in labor, someone's doing something wrong." But I was so surrounded by love, and it was just my my two midwives and my husband, and you know, I knew that this was this is it. This was my community. Um, They loved me, and they also knew that I didn't want. Anyone to talk to me. Um, I remember his saying that, like in the third trimester, I'm like, I, I just want to be left alone because I know that in order to have this hormonal cascade I'm looking for, I need to be undisturbed, right? I need to feel safe. I don't want anyone to say anything that might spook me. And. they did. So I was on the ground for four hours. They would intermittently monitor, monitor me with the Doppler, um, just to check. Um, but then they'd sort of get out of the way. And, um, after four hours, I was ready to like move into the birth pool. And I did have a lot of back labor. I think it was all back labor really. And what that meant for my husband was he spent about 12 hours with his hands just pushed against my back and he didn't complain once. Um, He actually got into the birth pool with me the first time. And I spent another four hours in there, I think, just sort of hanging over the side. Um, The problem was the one thing I did not want was to throw up in transition. Mm. And what that meant, excuse me, was I didn't eat and drink as much as I should have because I was so afraid of losing it. When like later on, we realized like, well, a, I was past transition, but B like that's fine, you throw up and you move on, but you have energy and so, I wasn't quite eating and drinking enough, and um, I was in the birth pool, and I think my midwife suggested we we just sort of change things up for a little while. Um, And so I got onto the bed and that's where I felt pain because it was just so hard to like move your belly when it, when baby is so low to like side lie with a peanut ball. And I was not comfortable there, but apparently I spent four
1: hours there. I do not really really like these four hour chunks. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it really was. And what's so bizarre is if you ask me to recall that, I would say each of those episodes lasted about 30 minutes mm-hmm. because I was just so far out of it. Like, I was just in my own space. No one was asking me things unless they were trying to, like, offer me something to drink or anything. But I don't remember any, any, like, stretch of time happening. I was just sort of, like, focused on releasing and, and um, going with the flow, I guess. But, um, Yeah, it was on the bed that my water burst this time because I started feeling pushy. And I remembered point two, point one, contractions, initially are building the fundus, then your body is going to just like eject baby when it's ready. (laughs) And that was the other thing I wanted. I wanted the fetal ejection reflex so bad. I did not want to push. I'm too lazy for that. Um, And I started feeling that. And it is is—it is exactly what people say it is. It's your body throwing up in reverse. It just over and over. And because of what we suspect baby had going on, like, she was sort of tilted up to the left. Like, we think her head was kind of lodged. My body had to do a lot of work to free her. And so I felt pushy for a very long time I think it was like two or three hours where it was involuntary the whole time but I was just like heaving it was so weird and that's where like my breathing had to change and that would be something I would work on the second time around just to help it be more productive because at that point you're trying to like push push down like your breath um and so that's where everything became a lot more guttural and (laughs) I was actually like like vocalizing a lot and sort of just like modulating my voice. It was really weird. It was really weird to hear those sounds come out of me. Um, but my water like exploded out that time. Like it just sort of popped and like exploded. Um, but the, um, the sideline really wasn't doing it for me. Apparently after four hours, I swear it was 25 minutes. I was like, this is miserable. I don't want to be in this position. I want to be back in the water. Um but I think that moving really did help. So that's something to keep in mind. Like if you feel like you need something to change, you got to force yourself to move just a little bit, even though you feel like you don't you don't have that ability in you. Because I got back in the water and then it was only an hour until delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, my husband did offer me more food because my midwife looked me in the eyes and was like, you either have to eat something, or you have to stop pushing. And I, I was like trying to defend myself. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not doing this. This is all involuntary. Like my body's trying to do it. But I did. I did eat um, some chicken and noodles. It's in my papers. Like eat chicken and noodles, and that was it. My husband said something changed in my eyes. Like I think I, I just subconsciously felt that something had shifted, um, because then I started. I started really like feeling like my, my heaves were productive because I could feel every time for those like two hours or whatnot, that my body was trying to do something, but it's weird. Cause like I'm trying to visualize it, but it was, it was almost like I was heaving and heaving, but I could feel this thing wasn't moving. Yep. Um, it was in the same spot. Um, but all of a sudden I started heaving and I felt, I felt it move and I don't know how baby got herself free, or, you know, if it was just that energy my uterus needed with the food and I think coconut water, but that was it. Um, it took eight minutes of fetal ejection reflex and that baby was out of there. It was the most magical thing and her head came out first and then she got part of the way out and she flipped and I remember being snappy and I, my midwife was like, just behind me um because i was in the birth pool i was like don't touch her and she's like i didn't touch her <laughs> like she's she flipped." and then that was it she shot out um and this is where it got crazy because that child had her umbilical cord wrapped on her neck twice once around her right arm and once around her leg
1: yeah a leg like <laughs> well it's a good thing you weren't in the hospital jamie <laughs> Oh, they would have had to save me from myself.
0: You know, Um, I, you know, just everything about this experience made me so grateful to be at home because with how baby was lodged, I'm sure they would have like slapped a failure to progress on me and given me a C-section. I'm sure of it with like every fiber of my being that like, because it, I was like, dry it was almost like dry heaving to like eject this baby for so long and she wasn't moving because my body was trying to get her out yeah and if anyone had said anything about how that was pathological like that would have been it my head would have been totally out of it and nothing would have happened um but yeah so my midwife said she had never had to have a mom like hold the baby upside down so they could unwrap her before but you know I tell people are always like oh the golden hour is so important I got a golden three hours because Mm -hmm. even with those cord wrappings like they never took the baby from me you know they didn't yank her away to like cut the cord and make sure she was fine not only that she she didn't really make any sounds when she was born and she started getting pink but then she sort of started to like I don't know fade a little bit Mm -hmm. and so they just gave her a couple rescue breaths and like I held her that entire time and then she was fine, you know? So again, it was no emergency. I just felt so held. Like they, they never catastrophized anything. So that was it. They gave her a couple breaths. She was fine. Um, And then icing on the cake because I'm obsessed with my birth and I know everyone says that, but my birth just shows you like how things happen that, are out of the sort of normal accepted range of safe and they're, they're totally normal and your care team can support you during those things. So the, the cord and then the breathing, and then my placenta didn't come out for two hours. Uh. And when I told people that they said, your midwife let you go longer than 30 minutes without the placenta coming out. And I said, yeah, because One of the things that so radicalized me about birth was seeing a baby with the placenta out and then like the baby was just laying there, which told me the mother had to birth the placenta and then she was somewhere else and they still left that baby there. That was the like cord clamping. And that was an image I was obsessed with. And that's actually the one I shared on my Instagram because I just I was so obsessed with having my own version of that. And then here comes my placenta. It's not coming out. You know, I wasn't bleeding profusely. I I was very aware of my surroundings. I felt good. I was eating. And so I kept asking, like, you know, can we just wait it out? I, I don't feel like I'm lethargic. You know, I'm not refusing to eat. I'm drinking. Um, everything seems fine. Um, and eventually... <laughs> I'm like the worst patient because they're like, okay, we just want to, you know, make sure it gets out, you know, just make sure there's nothing wrong. You're not bleeding or anything, but let's just do this already. I was like, fine. And so I stand up and I squat and my midwife, you know, she just helps, like she can feel that it's not attached to my uterus. It's right there in my vagina. Out it comes. Um, yeah, that was, that was one of the weirdest sensations of the birth, I think. Um, But that was it. you know, two hours later, it comes out, nothing wrong. I get my placenta picture, but it was just so cool because, you know, the baby, yeah, I don't think I gave her to be weighed, um, with the midwives until like three hours after the birth. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was just magical, um. Yeah. And I didn't end up throwing up in transition. My, my transition was just like, I got really shaky and I guess that's mm-hmm. how my midwife knew. Cause I didn't have any internal checks. She just knew that, um, I got really shaky and sure enough, that was, that was it. Um, yeah, it was just such a different labor and it's just so amazing to remember all the details, but also know that I was just like, so blissed out that I, I don't, remember the passage of time accurately. And even after birth, you know, like watching them like help with the rescue breasts and unwinding her, like I was never stressed. The placenta didn't bother me at all. <laughs> you know, I was just sort of riding this wave. Um, my midwife made me this delicious like kanji with steak and garlic. I ate that in bed. I got to stay in bed. Nobody woke me up in the middle of the night except the baby. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. And I had prepared for the first 40 days. So my husband and mom had all planned out who would have the toddler win. I had a ton of food frozen. I didn't get the baby blues at all. Um, I didn't need stitches. I did get a first degree tear, but it healed up on its own just fine. So it was really magical and so different.
1: (laughs) Hugely different. Like just... I don't know. It's just so empowering to hear like just what birth is supposed to be. And that's what, that's what you experienced this yeah. untouched, you know, uninhibited, you just let your body do what it wanted to do and needed to do. And yes. Okay. So the baby was asynclitic. Yeah. Yeah. Your body was ready to deal with that. And okay. The baby had the cord wrapped around her body in a very interesting way. Okay. Like your body was able to deal with that. That is the moral of the story (laughs) is that yeah, your body's able to deal with it. And yet we have this system that is just like, Nope, can't do that. Nope, nope, nope. Oh, that's scary. Like we've got to fix it for you. Absolutely not.
0: You know, I, there are a couple points in my head where like little checkpoints where I realized, Oh, if I had done this conventionally here are where the things would have gone wrong. The first being breach at Mm -hmm. 34 weeks, probably would have gotten a C-section scheduled around 36 weeks. Um, And then the failure to progress just during the course of the day. Um, But I, I do actually remember like your words echoing in my head because I, I remember the second time I was in the pool for that last hour, you know, things are really intense. And there was a a point in my head where I'm like, why is no one paying attention to me? You know, because I must be the center of attention. And then I was like, oh, wait, they're respecting what I asked them to do. Like in pregnancy, nobody is, nobody's going to do this for me. Like I could call it quits now and get a C-section or I could just do the darn thing. And, and then I was like, nobody is coming to save me except myself. It's you, you just got to do this, you know? And, and that's what I did. No one else could do it for me. I could, well, unless I asked them to surgically remove the baby, but there wasn't any need for that. And yeah,
1: I just had to do it myself. So I did,
0: yeah. <laughs> and it was so hard, but it was amazing.
1: Yeah, and then I, yeah, I need to do a, a high check in after that. So, what was that postpartum like? Did you get like a check mark beside "I just want to get high"? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely. There's a there's a picture of me, and I I think you can just see the oxytocin flowing mm-hmm. flowing at that point. And yeah, I just kept being like, I did that. I cannot believe I did that. And I think that's why nothing bothered me about sort of the events post post birth, like immediately post birth, because I remember my friend was like, "Oh, I'm sorry, you know, the the placenta and the rescue breast, you know, they happened. It wasn't a perfect birth." And I'm like, "Are you kidding me? That was amazing! Like, let's do it again, but not really." Um, so it was just incredible.
1: Oh, that is, it's just so exciting to hear. I'm so glad you shared this with us. And as, as we do round up, I did want to yeah. ask though, like with this postpartum. Okay. So there are, I'm sure are some moms who are like, all right, but how do I, if I'm trying to avoid pregnancy in the postpartum period, what do you, do you have a few little like hot tips for us?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you can do rapid fire. Um, you're going to want to start charting around six to eight weeks if that's what you choose to do. So a lot of people like to meet with an instructor in pregnancy just to sort of start having a foundation for when they need to chart and they're tired and they're not quite sure how to learn. Um, And so I would recommend there's a method called the Billings Ovulation Method. Um, They do have a policy where they don't turn people away for financial reasons. So they will make sure that you get education Um, It's just a mucus only method so you don't have to worry about temping. And they have a um, set of rules that applies for postpartum people. They'll help you develop a um, pattern so that you can sort of see these windows of fertility or infertility um, so you can avoid pregnancy while recognizing prolactin is going to do funky things to your hormones for a while. Um, But You know, even with exclusively breastfeeding these days, I find that a lot of people do see a return of fertility before that lactation amenorrhea Mm -hmm. cutoff would actually say they're infertile. Um, And you are going to ovulate before your first postpartum period, even though you may bleed a little bit before you ovulate. But that bleeding is is probably going to be suspicious because A, it may not have pain and B, another period or, you know, another bleeding episode may not follow it in, you know, four weeks. So that's a good way to sort of tell yourself, okay, I haven't ovulated yet. Um, So you can check out the Billings ovulation method or the Marquette method. Very objective. You use a clear blue monitor and you just test your hormones every day. A little pricier, but some people postpartum like the no-nonsense, you know, protocol. So those are the top two. I started charting at three weeks just to familiarize myself with, um, sensations because that lochia appears and you can feel it. So then you have words to sort of describe sensations you can use later on. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, I, I meet with my instructor or send in my chart every two weeks because even instructors need instructors. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, that way I just have someone with an eye on my chart. Um the method I teach SymptoPro does have a protocol and I have had postpartum clients and we've caught their first ovulation very exciting That is um, awesome. But yeah, I would suggest Billings or Marquette just because they have studies that include preg- um postpartum women. Mm-hmm. Um and so that efficacy truly does apply. Um yeah. and in post the postpartum period before you ovulate fertility awareness is going to sit at 98% effective. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's something to keep in mind too, but I just, you know, I, I've been sharing my whole journey and I have mucus examples and my charts and everything, because for a lot of women who are traumatized, they're then given birth control and then they deal with the side effects of that on top of PPA or PPD. Um, and they just don't know that this option is out there or how to use it. And so that's sort of what my whole shtick is right now over on Instagram. Um, if you're curious, I just put out a post sort of detailing all the steps and everything.
1: Yeah. Would you um, would you mind sharing your Instagram handle with everybody? Yes. I am at followingmybody. Perfect. Yeah. Everyone just follow Jamie. She's the best. Um, this has been so much fun. This has been such a great conversation. I've enjoyed it so thoroughly. Um, Jamie, it has been just such an honor. Thank you so much for coming on the Happy Home birth Podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I just like to share my story because I'm a normal person and my pain tolerance in normal life is very low. And if I can have such a radically different birth, literally anybody could do it if they chose to, if they wanted to, you know, there are steps you can take to prepare for that. And yeah, you should just know it's not impossible and it's incredible. (laughs) I love it.
1: Wow. What an incredible and thought provoking episode. As we head into this week's episode roundup, I've got a few thoughts. Number one, common does not equal normal. Unfortunately, the cascade of interventions offered forced, at the hospital under the guise of safety are anything but, and so disempowering to mothers who realize, wait a minute, I didn't need that. And the vast majority of the time, that is absolutely the case. Number two, Jamie realized that this second time around, she was ready to get into the deep work of preparation. As her husband stated, home birth is a lot of work. And the truth is, yeah, taking responsibility after generations of handing over responsibility means that we have to do a lot of additional work. But you know what's so cool? Because Jamie and her husband bared the brunt of that hard work, their daughters won't have to work so hard. They'll grow up in a family that understands and appreciates birth as a natural, beautiful process. And they'll likely feel far more confident and prepared without having to do nearly as much work to ready themselves for birth. What a gift. And finally, your body is amazing. Jamie's body is amazing. It knew exactly what it needed to do to get her daughter unstuck, and despite being tangled up in the cord, she was birthed just fine (laughs) and so beautifully. I love Jamie's beautiful perspective of how her birth was perfect. Rescue breaths and long-holding placenta and all. The beauty of birth is in the variations and the fact that our bodies are capable of handling them. How encouraging. Okay, my friends, that's all I've got for you for today. Merry Christmas. I hope you had the most wonderful Christmas experience be sure to check out Jamie's work at Following My Body on Instagram, and I will see you back here next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Are you looking to extend the home birth support, encouragement, and education? Join us in our Facebook group, Happy Home Birth Podcast Community, and check us out on Instagram at Happy Home Podcast.